Hello and welcome to another episode of our Brothers Creed podcast where we talk about motivation, experiences, and we explore the world around us. We are the Thomas Brothers, and I'm Jared. And I'm Ethan, and today we're going to explore another one of our credos of life in our own personal creeds, Uh, and that one is creativity. We're going to talk a little bit about how being creative can add a little spice to life, let's say. Um, How can we potentially utilize creativity to make things more interesting, maybe uh, in our in our professional lives, you know, being creative and maybe starting a business or being creative in, in your business and designing something or coming up with interesting solutions, maybe being creative in your personal life, right? Being creative yeah. with your kids, um, your spouse, whatever it may be, you know, there's lots of opportunities for us to be creative and to come up with creative options to uh, solving problems or to enjoying certain things in life. So uh, this episode will be all about creativity and how we can apply it to our own personal creeds. So let's get into it. Let's do it. Yeah, I'm thinking I'm back. Most valuable commodity I know of is information. And that, my friends, is called integrity. That's called courage. Now that's the stuff leaders should be made of. Either you're somebody or you're nobody. You're not the devil. You're practice. I was looking at a little bit of the history of creativity, and it's interesting. Originally, scholars... Uh, and great minds of the time, they would attribute any creativity to divine inspiration. So if someone had an idea, they would say, oh, that must be God touching your mind uh, and inspiring you to think that. Uh, interestingly, though, later during the Renaissance period, uh, the creativity um, was, was kind of the, that thought process changed from being a conduit to the divine um, but from the abilities of "quote unquote" great men, so this shift from God to man was called the Enlightenment period, and so uh, it was kind of interesting how that shift in that instead of just being touched by the divine, it's like, well, hey, I have studied, I've pondered this thing, and I'm I'm having a great idea, and because of my unique situations and my unique um, preparations or learnings, I am able to create. Uh, something unique. I think that there is a, I think that's an interesting concept. There's a whole movement called the the great men, uh, which perhaps we should look into that a little bit later. I think there's some pros and cons to that, but it was big during the Renaissance. But I think it's interesting that thinking about that creativity deriving from ourselves as opposed to simply from God, I think that is something that God gives us, uh, gives each person is the ability to create. And it's not necessarily our minds opening as a conduit to God, but rather that piece of God that's in us that is creative. Uh, and so I, I think that uh, it's maybe a little bit of a mixture of both, uh, that our experiences and our learnings and our talents and our desires to do that 
give us the ability to create. And having a being a father of four boys, I know from experience, it is much easier to destroy than it is to create. And so I think that creating is such a an art, such a beautiful mindset to be in, uh, where especially <laughs> when you a situation where it's much easier just to run crazy and destroy stuff, uh, and it takes a lot more patience to create. Uh, just following on that on that concept, um, the history, a little bit of history, creativity here. So there was in the 1926, uh, there was a guy named uh, Wallace who published a book called The Art of Thought, and he presented the first models of how to, the of his ideas on how the creative process works. So in his staged model. First is preparation, and this is in preparing to, so preparatory work on a problem that focuses the individual's mind on the problem and explores the problem's dimensions. So if you're trying to be creative, this is what you can do. First of all, prepare yourself for that. Work on the problem, focus on the individual, focus in your mind on what the problem is and explore the dimensions of the problem. The second one is incubation, in which that says, in which the problem is internalized into the unconscious mind and nothing appears externally to be happening. So just, I guess, that's hard to do that. How, how do you put something into your subconscious mind? You know, listen to it while you're sleeping. I don't know, but like, yeah. I think it just was like really internalizing that question and pondering it all the time. Sometimes I'll be trying to figure out a problem at work. And I'm just like, ah, oh, I can't figure this out. Then I'll go home. Maybe go to jujitsu, come home, and I'm taking a shower. I'm just my eyes are closed, and then boom, the the solution comes to me, and I'm like, oh, I should do it like this. I should write the code like this, or I should visualize that thing like this, and that would tell the story best. So sometimes that that maybe that was maybe I had pushed that thing down into my subconscious, and that whole time I was thinking about it, and then when I got a chance to breathe uh, and just think, that it came back up to the surface. Uh, the next one is intimation which is the cr- the creative person gets a feeling that the solution is on the way. I don't know much about that one. But uh, the fourth one is illumin. I think there was a note that said that intimation could actually be a substage of incubation. The next one is illumination or insight. And this is when the creative idea bursts forth from its the place wherever it was processing, uh, into conscious awareness. And then the last one is verification, in which the idea is consciously verified, elaborated, and then applied. So that's uh, interesting that someone actually dialed out the process of creativity. But I think the major piece here is just being able to think and ponder. I think that is a skill that needs to be applied nowadays. Sometimes we're just so busy Sometimes I just go to work, you know, I'll go to the gym in the morning, I'll listen to music, and I come home, uh, take a shower, and then, you know, maybe listen to a podcast, eat breakfast, talk with my wife, get in the car, listen to a podcast, listen to the news, listen to the radio, get to work, do this stuff. So sometimes I just go and I'll just listen to nothing and just sit and think on the way to work or on the way home. You've got to have those times when you're not doing anything to give your brain time to ponder on the things that you have going on and be creative. So I think that's a great first step. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I remember when I was first kind of getting back into running and I was running 
you know, three plus miles, um, kind of a couple times a week. Uh, I got to a point to where like listening to music actually was kind of boring. Cause especially if like you're running for, you know, potentially 30 minutes to an hour, um, you're like, man, I just don't like, I feel like I'm wasting my time here. Um, like listening to music because it's distracting enough to where you're not thinking about anything, but it's like not really adding anything to whatever. So I started listening to uh, books while I was running just cause it was, you know, a quiet opportunity for me to just really kind of listen to the words and everything else. And, uh, and then after that, it got to a certain point to where sometimes I would, you know, listen to a book for a mile and then just pause it and then just, just be in silence, just kind of think for, for a little bit. And yeah. then, you know, start it back up. And so I, I definitely agree with that. Yeah. So, uh, cre- creativity. I mean, I, I agree with what all, all of what you said. Um, you know, I think it's definitely something that you have to, I think some people like anything else are born with just natural creativity. And some people you have to kind of, you know, force yourself to go out of your comfort zone and, and be creative. Um, just from a definition standpoint, uh, I had written down that, you know, being creative means having the ability to generate original and innovative ideas, solutions, and, and, and expressions. Um, so it reminded, that reminded me, um, of one of my first jobs out of college, I was working in California and, um, the, the president of the company that I was working with. Um, he would always say this one phrase and his whole thing was, you know how like companies have R and D research and development. Well, he'd be like, you know, R and D is such a sham. He goes, R and D doesn't mean anything. He said in in the world that we live in today, R and D is dead. He said, R and D stands, doesn't stand for, for research and development. It stands for rip off and duplicate because, you know, every, everybody's doing the exact same thing. R and D is just rip off and duplicate. You know, maybe change a little tiny thing here, but just do the same exact thing. And that was kind of stuck with me that, you know, a lot of that is, yeah, just rip off and duplicate and and, and just kind of find something that someone else is doing and do that same exact thing. Um, and is that creative? I don't know. I mean, I guess you could argue to a certain extent that, you know, doing something outside of the norm is creative, but um, I don't know. It was just kind of an interesting, yeah. interesting take on, on, you know, creativity. Yeah, that's true. Uh, I did have one small story to share. Uh, so this one's a this one you might not be familiar with. Uh, in the early 20th century, there was a guy named George de Mestral, and he took it. He went on a walk with him and his dog through the Swiss Alps. Upon returning home, uh, he noticed that both on his dog and on his own person, on his clothes, there were burrs from plants. So instead of being frustrated, George was very curious, and he decided to take a closer look at these burrs in a microscope. So what ended up happening is he discovered that there was a small hook system that allowed the burrs to cling to the fabric and to the fur of his dog. This observation sparked his creativity. Uh, George spent years experimenting and eventually developed a two-part fastening system inspired by the burrs. He called it Velcro, a combination of the words velvet and crochet. Uh, 
Velcro, with its innovative design inspired by nature, became a revolutionary invention. It has been used in countless applications from clothing to space exploration and is a testament to the power of creativity and inspiration that can come from everyday stuff. So I like this story because it illustrates how creativity can be found basically anywhere in unexpected places and how it's just a simple observation can lead to even groundbreaking innovations. It just takes time and dedication to think those things through and to tinker with it. And I think that something that exists today, maybe to our detriment in some ways, is that there are so many things that you can do. I think that perhaps a little bit of boredom would do would do us a little bit of good. There's so many things that I could go do at any given fill time. Your, fill your time to, with, to distract time, yourself yeah. with. So that, you know, I just, there's not a lot of time. Or I feel like there's not a lot of time or maybe I need to make time to just think about things and, and be creative. And then when I have an idea, to act on it. And so, anyway, I love that story. I think it's very interesting. and It's kind of cool how he got that idea from nature. So, yeah. Do you remember, um, do you remember that show Star Trek Enterprise? So, the, the, which one? The newer one or the old no, one? No. So, this one was probably like early 2000s that came oh, out. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. With uh, Captain Archer? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So there was an episode on that where uh, this group of Vulcans crashed on Earth kind of in the early 20th century. Uh-huh. And they were like, oh, we don't have any, you know, um, of this Earth currency from this time or whatever. And they were like, well, how are we going to survive and how are we going to get money to whatever? And um, one of them goes into like their little thing and pulls out this pouch. And it, and they were like, what are you going to do with that? And it was a Velcro closing patch and so they took it to a like a pawn shop type thing or somewhere and they sold it and the the idea the invention to this guy for you know i don't know a couple hundred bucks or something like that so that they could have some money and and so it's (laughs) like oh that's that's how velcro was uh you know brought to brought to earth right by the vulcans very cool um but yeah that's funny so (laughs) no i think i think that's a great story that's a great story of of seeing something and yeah not not just dismissing it, like you say, you didn't get angry about these burrs in his pants, right? Not dismissing it, but saying, you know, how could, let me look into this a little bit for, let me investigate this. You know, these things are freaking stuck on my pants, man. How do I get these things off? Um, get pliers. <laughs> yeah. So interesting. Uh, I, I had a, a interesting story as well. Um, this story is called it's it's a, a war story, right? Where creativity in battle, um, well, maybe not battle, but just kind of war in and of itself, um, potentially kind of changed things completely. So this is I'm gonna talk about Operation Fortitude. So I don't know if you've heard of Operation Fortitude before. So I don't think so. So this was during World War II. Um, the Allies. Obviously, in preparation for D-Day, which was June 6th, 1944, um, the Allies were trying to figure out ways to, um, they're, they're trying to find the best place to attack. They were trying to, um, you know, figure out the best strategy for 
kind of getting this mass invasion onto the the beaches of France um to you know change the change the tides of the war pun intended um and so there was this uh, little known guy um his name was George S Patton and he was put in uh in charge of an operation called Operation Fortitude that was Basically, they they employed various different deceptive and misleading tactics to kind of confuse the Axis powers and the Germans. The, the biggest thing, and I think the most creative thing that they did, was they used an entire platoon of inflatable tanks to throw off the Germans and their intel. Oh, yeah. So they used kind of as, as a deceptive warfare, right? Tactical deception, let's call it a creative deception tactic. And they used these inflatable tanks, also inflatable aircrafts, in an effort to distract from the D-Day landing. They placed all of these um, inflatable tanks. They were called, what do they call them? They called them like rubber inflatables or something like that. And... They blew up all these things and they were they were true to size. They were had like pictures, they were painted, they were and, and so they looked exactly from you know from 30,000 feet where uh, a spy plane, a German spy plane would come over and be taking pictures. They looked exactly like tanks and exactly like airplanes from that high. And so they put them all in a, a part of the English Channel that was the shortest distance from England to where the invasions w- would be, w- from England to France, right? There was the the shortest distance, and that is the Pass de Calais, which is a, a region of, of France, which is it's just the, the shortest distance. And so they put them all there to make the Germans think that, oh, that's where they're going to cross, right? Because it's the easiest place to cross or wherever else. Yeah. So... To make this deception as convincing as possible, they use these inflatable tanks, inflatable trucks, artillery uh, pieces of, of massive artillery and, and guns. They also they would go and they would kind of move them around to periodically to make it look like they were building up this massive army in kind of the, the southeast England in this one uh, part of where the channel was the shortest. Oh, they were called rubber dummies is what they called the the decoys. So they constructed just with great attention and detail. And like I said, with painting and everything else that they really looked uh, to, to further support the illusion and the creativity. Right. They did uh, like false radio traffic. They would send out fake radio signals and transmissions. They would reinforce this idea that, oh, you know, this this Pas de Calais where they were going to pass. Oh, oh, yeah, this is where we're going to do it. They just it was just like this whole elaborate plan to just throw off the Germans. Yeah, and, and they so, also had like speakers. They would like play camp music, like camp sounds yep. of like tanks going by, people talking, dogs barking, stuff like that. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So German high command was legitimately led to believe that the real ally invasion would occur on this, this past Calais region. And this misconception really, I mean, it significantly delayed German response to 
the actual D-Day invasion and landings in Normandy. Because the Germans, there was still like they still had uh, resources in, in at, at Normandy where we landed, but it was not near as many because they had pulled quite a few of these these different uh, platoons or, or or whatever you want to call them off of the Normandy beach, and they were actually sending them up to this other area because they thought that they were going to land all these inflatable tanks and everything there. And plus, you so, have to remember the uh, spy. The, that inspired James Bond. He was also yep. <laughs> like sending messages that it would be somewhere else too, right? Yep, yep, for sure. Um, that was one of the episodes we did on uh, theatrical episodes. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, that kind of mixed with false uh, false intel and everything else. I mean, it's really amazing because I, I think it potentially could have gone completely different direction if they would have had quadruple the number of forces uh, at Normandy, the Germans. It would have made it a much more difficult, uh, even more difficult than it already was, right? To 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 storm the beach there and to to take over that area. I mean, that was yeah. really kind of a mass, massive turning point for the war. Uh, so, a creative solution. Did George S. Patton come up with that himself? No, I doubt it. He was just kind of the they called it the Phantom Army is what they called it, but. You know, a lot of people, I'm sure, were sitting around a table and they're like, man, how can we throw off these Germans? How can we create any type of strategic advantage in our favor to help out our boys on the ground? You know, and so I I think that that was I'm sure there's plenty of times in history, you know, the Trojan horse or whatever it may be that 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 armies use different deceptive tactics to, to throw off the enemy. But I just thought this one was, was a particularly creative and, and cool one. Yeah. Or like the, remember we talked about the one with the Iranian hostage crisis and how they pretended to be making a sign science fiction. Oh, documentary. Yeah. Yeah. They were so they were making a science fiction movie named Argo when they learned all their like parts and stuff so they could get these people out of the country. Yeah, I do remember that. Yeah, so I I think just from a creative perspective, I think in building our own personal creeds, it is beneficial for you to maybe take a step back um, and take a look at the situation from maybe a, a higher viewpoint. Look, you know, two or three steps ahead, and how can what I do right now affect, you know, the next three or four steps of of you know what my goal is to to accomplish? Um, so I think creativity is definitely something that can be developed, and we encourage you to add this into your own personal creed and develop it yourself and build your creed with us. Awesome, let's do it. Thanks, guys.